Welcome to Hepatocellular Cancer Update. This is medical oncologist Dr. Neil Love. We gathered clinical investigators, Drs. Alan Vanuk, David Geller, and Lewis Roberts, along with three community-based medical oncologists, Drs. Bill Harwin, Charles Henderson, and Joseph Pizzolatto, to discuss an important and common disease both worldwide and in the U.S., HCC and medical oncology have avoided each other to some extent up to now, but that all changed at the June 2007 ASCO meeting when Dr. Joseph Lovey reported the results of the so-called SHARP trial, a phase three study demonstrating significant benefit in progression-free and overall survival with the use of serafinib. Later on in the program, you'll hear interviews reviewing new research results from gastroenterology, hepatology, and surgical oncology, along with medical oncology, but first our roundtable. The discussion began with a case presented by Dr. Harwin. This is a 75-year-old man that I just saw three days ago in the office for a post-operative consultation with hepatocellular carcinoma. The patient described in the x-ray reports of having some type of radiologic abnormality dating back to just over three years ago. He had an incidental CAT scan done for what was thought to be nephrolithiasis, and he had an abnormality, and a CT needle liver biopsy in May of 2004 was negative. He's actually had two previous biopsies. In September of 2004, an MRI showed a nonspecific 4.5 centimeter in the right lobe of the liver, unchanged from a scan in May of that year, a few months earlier. He had another CAT scan in June of 2005, two years ago, that showed an ill-defined mass with peripheral enhancement, inconclusive, but it was felt to be suspicious from angioma. There was no apparent change. And then he had another follow-up scan in June of 2006, which was an MRI scan that showed a 4.5 centimeter lesion in the periphery of the right lobe liver that does not have any enhancement characteristic of a cyst or a mangioma, and it was felt the differential diagnosis was hepatocellular carcinoma versus metastatic lesion. At some point, he had a second biopsy. I'm not sure the results of that. As part of follow-up imaging on June 22nd of this year, two months ago, he had a CAT scan in the abdomen that now showed a heterogeneous enhancing mass within the peripheral aspect of the right lobe of the liver, which was 7 by 6 centimeters and had increased in size. It extended from the level of the right portal vein to the tip of the right lobe of the liver. And the radiologist felt most likely this was an hepatocellular carcinoma. The patient was completely asymptomatic and has never had any symptoms from this. His alpha protein, which previously had been normal, was now elevated at 345. His liver function tests and coagulation studies were all normal, and he had no previous history of any liver disease. He did have some history of Giardia years ago, and there was some question as maybe there was liver involvement, but there was so long ago that I couldn't really know if that was actually the case. So he was referred to a surgical oncologist as part of his preoperative staging. CAT scans were negative outside the liver, and he had a PET scan that was completely normal, not imaging this tumor at all. He was referred to a surgical oncologist, and on July 17th, he underwent a procedure described as partial resection of the left 11th rib, ultrasound of the liver interoperatively, cholecystectomy, and right lobe liver resection. He was found to have a large right lobe liver tumor, but there did not appear to be any disease in the left lateral lobe or left medial lobe. Ultrasound showed no other abnormalities, and the tumor appeared to be several centimeters away from the middle hepatic vein, and it was felt to be a candidate for resection. According to the surgical oncology operative report, the liver was scored to give approximately two centimeters beyond the palpable tumor, and an RFA-assisted dissection was done, and the patient tolerated surgery. He was out of the hospital in less than a week. 
Final pathology showed a moderately differentiated hepatocellular carcinoma 10 centimeters in greatest dimension. The tumor involved the majority of the lobectomy specimen. The ink margins were free of malignancy microscopically and measured at 3 millimeters. There was no lymphovascular or perineural invasion. Who did the surgery? Was it your community surgeon? It was or? a community surgeon, but it's a trained surgical oncologist. Okay, any questions on the faculty? Just hepatitis serologies, I trust, were negative. Hepatitis serologies were negative in the past. One of the things that I recommend is to go back to his gastroenterologist and have that reevaluated. And was there any cirrhosis in the normal liver in the pathology specimen? None. So, Lewis, this is not kind of what we normally think of. We want to start out with something a little bit different, at least I think maybe a little bit different in terms of classic presentation. What do you think about this case in terms of how it fits into the epidemiology of the disease? I think it tells us one of the main messages about HCC in the United States is that a substantial proportion of the patients don't have any risk factors for liver disease. And it's the minority, but it's still a significant minority. I think in Minnesota, it's probably 20 to 30 percent of the patients we see. The data from Dr. Hashim El-Sirak, who's done more of nationwide studies that, depending on where you are, it's between 10 and 50% of the patients you see. David, I was kind of watching your face as he was describing the surgery. I'm curious about your thoughts. I think that this patient is very fortunate because clearly he had this identified three years earlier. It had been a lot easier to undergo the hepatic resection at that time when the tumor measured four to five centimeters rather than a seven or eight by staging. And as the pathology showed, it was a 10 centimeter mass. I think that his initial evaluation is fairly common, meaning patients come to you with an incidental finding of a liver mass, which was identified in a workup for kidney stones and a little bit lost to follow-up. It sounds like a biopsy was done and non-diagnostic, but a message to the community physicians, oncologists, and gastroenterologists is we need to have a high index of suspicion. And the imaging is so good nowadays with CT scan and MRI that unless it looks like a classic hemangioma, if a biopsy is indeterminate, you cannot be lulled into a sense of observation only, and you either need to go after it again with a repeat percutaneous biopsy or refer for a laparoscopic biopsy if they can't access it because this man almost missed his chance for a surgical cure. Fortunately, he was able to undergo it. I only grimaced when I heard the. it's not a criticism because obviously the patient's done well, but the access to the liver with our retractors and devices. It's unheard of in a decade of operating on the liver. I've never done a rib resection. And there was a comment about having to do 11th rib resection. This was an old surgical approach with a lot of pain and morbidity that the urologist would use to approach large adrenal tumors or renal cell cancers from a flank incision. But I've not seen a tumor or a liver that we can't completely remove at liver transplant with just abdominal incision. So it's really an issue of knowing where to make the incision. Certainly, if you don't have to take out a rib, there's a lot less morbidity from pain from the rib resection from violating the chest wall cavity and potentially getting in and requiring a chest tube or diaphragm injury. But having said that, I think the surgeon went in and did the correct operation, a right hemihepatectomy. From the description, he thought he was getting two centimeter margin. It often goes to show you that at pathology, the margins are closer than you think. And that many times, it's a business of millimeters and not centimeters. Where we shoot for a one centimeter margin, I'll typically try and get a two centimeter. We're happy with one. Sometimes it ends up being less than one. And what we need to tell the patient, regardless of whether the margin is two millimeters or a centimeter, with this size tumor, he's at risk for recurrence and needs lifelong surveillance. I would like to know on the pathology report if there was gross vascular invasion or microscopic angio invasion of the tumor into that right portal vein. There was none, none described. 
So, Alan, what's your best estimate as to what the chance of recurrence of the disease is in this situation? I think the one very favorable feature is that the biology of the disease is obviously favorable because they did the uncontrolled experiment of following this for three years and it didn't metastasize. So I think this patient probably has better than a 50-50 chance of being rendered disease-free. You know, no underlying liver disease. One of the main issues with HCC is not so much recurrence or metastatic disease, but new primaries in the diseased liver, and he doesn't have a diseased liver. I would put this probably at least 50-50 that this patient is cured. And I guess the obvious question, we'll talk a little bit later about management of advanced disease, but obviously there was some exciting data presented at ASCO looking at serafinib question, would you consider serafinib in a non-protocol situation for a patient like this? And are there protocols right now that this patient could go into? Right. So the first answer is easy, which is I wouldn't use serafinib, although theoretically it might be appealing. There's no evidence that it would be of benefit. And I don't think serafinib is a free lunch. I mean, every drug we use has potential side effects. It is a very important study question which will be asked of serafinib. The details are being worked out. There's a European study being planned and a study here in the States, and we're trying to actually make them non-duplicative and ask complementary questions. But clearly, the resectable patient with HCC, given the mechanism of action, the efficacy shown by serafinib would be a very good question. Does serafinib decrease the risk of recurrence or prolonged disease-free survival. So I think a very important, but no data yet to guide us. I want to challenge you a little bit on this question. Of course, this is always a really difficult question. We don't have clinical trial evidence, but you tell me that there's a 50% chance in your best guess in terms of cancer recurrence, looking at an agent that, granted, can cause some quality of life issues, but I'm not aware of any sort of life-threatening issues Would you present it to the patient as an option? If you were in this situation, would you consider it? Well, that's a very hard question. So would I consider it? Yes. Would I tell patients that this drug exists that may have theoretical benefit? Yes. I have to be careful about how we declare therapy safe or not. It is true that serafinib has a generally favorable safety profile, but these are people who, with renal cell or other cancer, HCC, who die within a year. They do well for the 16 weeks or 20 weeks on serafinib, but we don't know what would happen in your patient who lives 10 years from their liver resection who had a year of serafinib. I think that's a very... I have major concerns that if by perturbing a lot of these growth factors, there may be some downstream consequences. I would mention it Most patients in my practice would mention it to me because they would have done their internet search already, and I would talk about it, but I would really be pretty steadfast in not recommending it. just want to quickly poll the other two faculty members whether they agree with Alan that they would not use it in a non-protocol situation. David? I agree completely that we have no data to support its use in this specific patient. However, since the large size of the tumor, this is the perfect patient to enroll in the adjuvant setting, and I think it's only going to be a matter of 
six months to a year that we see two or three of these different trials opening in Pittsburgh where we have one under IRB review to use in high-risk patients post-liver transplant that have liver transplant with explanted liver showing a known or incidental hepatoma, and we have a couple of high-risk prognostic indicators. And if they meet that eligibility, then put them on it. The beauty of Nexavar, it's an oral agent, so a patient could be treated out of state easily. And I think that we'll be seeing trial of Nexavar. We need to do them in a clinical trial fashion, phase two and eventually phase three studies. And this patient would be perfect for accrual to a trial like that, which I think should be soon. Any issue in terms of post-transplant therapy and Nexavar problems there? The major toxicity from Nexavar reported was hand-foot syndrome and GI toxicity, and about 8 to 10% of patients treated as grade 3, 4 toxicities in the phase 3 SHARP trial that Joseph Love presented. So we would have to watch that. Some of the immunosuppression drugs we use, such as Celsept, has some GI toxicity. I think we would probably want to have the patient on monotherapy with tocrolimus or FK506. I think it would probably be reasonably well tolerated in that setting. That's our plan. We're also looking at Nexavar. One issue is how soon after transplant to start it, and nobody really knows that. But I think we're looking at about a six-week to three-month window when they have normal liver function, and then we'll start it, and hopefully it should be well-tolerated with the immunosuppression regimen. I trust you're doing a pilot before you do a randomization. Yeah, this is a phase two. So we're going to do it as right, a phase two Right, and it's interesting. Pilot. That's actually a hot area of research that we're pursuing, combining an mTOR inhibitor with serafinib in the disease. So there's actually some real appeal in that combination. Are there activity of temsorolinus and HCC? Well, we've seen some anecdotal evidence in patients who are transplanted with HCC who recur that changing their immune suppression and putting them on an mTOR inhibitor, we've actually seen a few patients have regression of their tumor on the mTOR inhibitor. Theoretically, it's believable, and we've seen it on occasion. I think this is an important study to do. I think the toxicity of Nexavar in the studies that have been done We have to be really cautious when we start combining it in patients who've had liver transplant. I would hold my breath on this one, but I think... That's why we need to do the study. But I mean, any particular concern? Well, I think part of it is the unknown. The problem to me, and I'm conservative as an oncologist, is these liver transplant patients, we figure are going to live 20 or 30 years. And so the immediate toxicity may not really be much of an issue, It may or may not be, but I'd have major concerns about long-term consequences. I'm very conservative about this. I'd hate to do a liver transplant and then two years later see portal vein, you know, see some, who knows? I mean, remember these drugs, serafinib inhibits VEGF, it inhibits PDGF, it has other factors. So very important to study it but I'd have some concerns. Lewis, kind of looking at HCC as a public health issue in the United States specifically, how much potential is there going to be to change mortality disease through adjuvant therapy? What fraction of patients right now are presenting with potentially curative disease, and how much do they contribute to long-term death rates from HCC? I think really there's a couple of issues there. One is on the epidemiologic sort of larger scale, the importance of enrolling individuals who are at risk into screening programs and surveillance programs so that we identify the cases early. Because clearly we have excellent therapy for patients with early disease, and we have thousands of patients who are at high risk who are not in surveillance programs. 
because what's becoming clear is that if patients are in surveillance programs and the sort of types of patients that present to many of the academic medical centers and centers that focus on hepatocellular carcinoma, these centers are now seeing maybe 15, 20, or sometimes 30% of the patients that they're seeing with HCC with early disease, which is typically amenable to some kind of therapy with an intent for cure. And what about nationally, though? If you look at you know, the entire USC or et cetera? So I think if we think nationally, the estimates are probably somewhere between 12 and 15, 18,000 cases of primary HCC a year, maybe as high as 20,000, depending on the study. Nationally, we're doing about 6,000 liver transplants a year, and about probably 20% of those are in patients with hepatocellular carcinoma. So probably about 1,000, 1,200 cases of HCC being transplanted a year. That tells us it's about 1 in 15, perhaps, of all the patients with HCC are diagnosed at a stage that's early enough that they're eligible for liver transplantation. David, you were talking about the question here about how the surgery was done related to the partial rib resection. What do we know about who's actually operating on these people? Are they surgical oncologists? Are they transplant docs? And who should be operating on them? I think the routine general surgeon or GI or colorectal surgeon does not have expertise for hepatic resurgery, and these patients should be referred to a surgeon or surgical team that has a track record and expertise in formal liver surgery. That can come from liver transplantation training, hepatobiliary specific fellowship training, or a surgical oncology fellowship that focuses on liver resection surgery. Just doing two-month rotation on a liver out of a two-year fellowship is not enough training. You need formal liver training because in those hands and in that setting, mortality is less than 1%, morbidity under 5%, and the outcomes are excellent now. Our biomedical devices, technology, and anesthesia, understanding of liver anatomy is improved to the point that 97 or 98% of our liver surgeries are bloodless, and patients don't need blood transfusions. They typically skip the intensive care, and we can take an 80-year-old and do a right hepatic lobectomy, and they're discharged home five days later. We've even evolved to the point now where a third of our patients can get laparoscopic liver surgery, even in the setting for cancer. Just one final question to Alan. What would you expect in terms of this man's alpha-fetoprotein when it should go down to zero? And what would you do if it started to increase and there was nothing on imaging? Whew. Well, so the his alpha-fetoprotein was modest. It was 350 or so. You know, within six to eight weeks, given the half-life of alpha-fetoprotein, I'd expect he wouldn't be what he'd had originally would go down, although the regenerating liver can make alpha-fetoprotein. So I would probably wait three months post-op, something like that. Now, and where's this man right now? So I drew an alpha-fetoprotein, and it's approximately four weeks after surgery, and it was 9.5. Normal's less than 6.1, so it's going down. And presumably, within six weeks, the liver will have regenerated, more or less. So it may very well be lower yet in another month. So I would follow it. This is following the biology. This is not a garden variety HCC, but clearly this is a patient with favorable biology. I'd be pretty aggressive in my surveillance just because you may get a second bite of the apple if you pick up a recurrence early. So I'm a little surprised the AFP went down that fast, that low, but that's fine. Would there be a situation where you would treat just based on an AFP, for example, with systemic therapy like surveillance? I would not. Okay. 